I actually do have uh, another story from the Pride Festival oh, that I cool. think is a great, oh. it's a great like sobering thought. I'll try to keep it short. This man probably around my age approaches the table on a bicycle and he just engages in like, you know, civil dialogue. Well, it turns out that he is from the atheist group, but as we just get to know him more, he volunteered that he was actually a, he was a convert to Christianity as a teenager, came to Holy Mother Church as like in high school and actually was very devout in the faith so much so that he was even like an altar boy at, you know, the Latin mass that's offered at a a parish in San Diego. And he had like a crisis of faith, I think in his young adult years and really just felt like God was not answering his prayers. And of course, you know, he got into the crowd where he started to doubt God's existence and eventually started to associate with atheists. And he said something that just really just stabbed me in the heart. And he was like, you know, if, if the Catholics that I had been attending mass with really believed what they believed, they would have like come after me. They, they would have called me, found me and told me like to come back to the sacraments, come back to the church. And he was like, but not one of them did. And it was, I mean, I'm sure that my eyes were just wide open. um, And I was like, wow. Welcome to Stories from the Street. I'm Brian. And I'm Beth. And today we have Kimberly Colby, and we're going to be talking to her about her time and experience as a regional missionary with St. Paul Street Evangelization. So, Brian, I got a yeah. question. What's your question? When do we get to do podcasts on location? Maybe when it's not snowing outside? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be on location with Kimberly this time. Oh, my gosh. Yes. We need to talk to Steve about that. <laughs> I think this is a great idea. I fully support it. I don't know if anyone else knows why. Uh, be, <laughs> why, yeah, we want to be with Kimberly. So Kimberly's going to be calling in from Hawaii, and Mm. we are here in Michigan, and we just had our first snow. (laughs) I didn't know whether to be excited or sad that winter was actually here. Well, I I don't know. It's a change of season is always good, but uh, I think it's wonderful that uh, we're going to bring Kimberly on. And uh, she's such a great evangelist, Uh, one of the ones that are just on fire for the Lord. Part of it, I think, has something to do with it is that she is a convert. I think that's a big part of it is I'm surprised, or maybe I should not be surprised how many converts have this desire to work with St. Paul street evangelization. But we talked, we talked about this before that, I mean, they, they're excited about the faith. They've actually, they're, they've chosen it for themselves. And I think every convert has that experience of choosing Jesus and choosing this faith and making it their own. Uh, which sometimes when it's just handed to you, you don't always have that decision, even if it is very important to you. Yeah. I mean, w- w- the priest that's over at the office with us, Father Wong, he was Hindu before. And he's very passionate about it because he knows the lack. He knows what it was like not to have Jesus and not to have that. So um, for him, it just it just oozes from him. It's like, everyone's got to know this. And I think sometimes as a cradle Catholic myself, it was always there, even if it was just the burner was turned down a little bit. Sometimes it was always there, but I do think that uh, those that are converts, especially converts from outside the Christian faith, really 
see the beauty of our faith it, with different lenses and that, that excitement comes through. And Kimberly is a perfect example of this. Let's bring Kimberly on. <laughs> Kimberly, thanks for being with us on the podcast today. Welcome. Yes, absolutely. Welcome. This is my first time I'm actually seeing Hawaii is through the lens of your computer right now. <laughs> and I can already tell just how sunny it is and how happy you are and how happy everybody is there. Exactly what I imagine. I'm here in Michigan with a space heater. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but in the office, she like went to Joe's office to take a space heater every day. <laughs> to heat up her office, she was always freezing. It was snowing. So Kimberly, it's so good to see you. The last time we were together, we were evangelizing in Detroit. And we it was a great time. It was a great time. You were out there one of your first times evangelizing at a festival and uh, explaining the rosary to this young young woman it was it was wonderful it was wonderful to be a part of that yeah kimberly how did you find out about saint paul street evangelization um so like you all mentioned i'm i'm a convert and my it was really my brother and my sister-in-law who inspired me so they're they're evangelical christians and they would actually drive up from their home in southern california and evangelize on the streets in Las Vegas. And once I was confirmed in the church and, you know, was really just growing in my, in my faith and my love for Jesus, I was like, man, there's got to be something that uh, is in accordance with like Catholic teaching and the Catholic faith. So no kidding. One day I just Googled uh, Catholic like evangelization. And one of the first search results was St. Paul street evangelization and I went to the website and I was like, this is, I don't have to, re you know, recreate the will. This is exactly what I want to do. And I signed up or I think reached out to like one of the local team leaders and then met up with them and shortly thereafter got involved. Wow. And that was I, in San Diego, right? Uh, that was in San Diego. Yes. Yeah. Uh, another beautiful place. I, I remember being surprised myself just Googling street evangelization without even putting the word Catholic in there. You still get our apostolate. Most people don't think Catholics and street evangelization, yet we're the first Google results. So that's, that's pretty amazing. I don't <laughs> know how, awesome. how that happened. Right. Yeah. There's Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, or anybody else. We beat all of them in terms of being out there on the streets, at least for Google results. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty remarkable. It is. <laughs> yeah. And what was that first experience like on the street when you were in San Diego? Uh, so it was at the Oceanside Pier, and I was with uh, two young men, Michael and Jordan, and they'd been doing it for quite a while. I think Michael, I think both of them were actually kind of like reverts to the faith. So they kind of fell away like during their college years and then just came back to the Lord and just wanted to, to share it with others. And it was just an incredible experience. I will admit, you know, I was a little timid. I'd let them do most of the talking, but I remember what Beth said when we were at the conference together and she emphasized this. And I remember having that feeling of like, wow, this is fun. And that, that's what like I want to share with others. It's like, no, street evangelization is so much fun. I loved being able to like see my friends on a weekly basis. And it, it's fun because it's joyful. It's like the, the most pure joy that you can experience. So, um, yeah. and once I started, and it also kind of makes you hungry to learn more about the faith. Uh, so I was already listening to Catholic Answers. I was listening to Patrick Madrid and, you know, now I'm looking over at my, my bookcase and it's just at least probably three quarters of it are 
uh, like apologetics books. So. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. And how many have you read? And how many are just on the shelf waiting? <laughs> well, I typically am always reading like three or four books at a time. And it kind of just depends on, on what I want to focus on. But yeah, yeah there are still quite a few that I, I need to get to. So <laughs> That's so, great. But that's how we all are. Yeah. So Kimberly, <laughs> when was that... When did you first start with St. Paul Street Evangelization? How long ago was that? So I would say I probably sent that initial email um, in the early, maybe late 2015, early 2016. So I guess it's going on, uh, seemed to be like three years. Yeah, two to three years. And yeah. do you have a favorite story that's come from you being on the street so far? I have quite a few, but one that that comes to mind was actually kind of the most challenging outing that I've ever done. It was in July of this past year, or yeah, this year, 2018. I met up with a fellow team leader who's usually down in downtown San Diego. And we actually evangelized at the Pride Festival. And you can imagine... Yeah, Um, we've had a few team leaders do that, go down to different Pride Festivals and actually be present there. And uh, so far, whenever we hear from them, it was, they've actually had non-confrontational, you know, good conversations with people, even at a place where you think it would be very heightened. So I'm actually really curious to hear how it was for you. Yeah, we got there at around nine o'clock in the morning. We were there well into the early afternoon. And something that I had discussed with actually both Adam and Steve, uh, because I reached out to them just kind of like asking for their advice. We wanted to make sure like, we did not give people the impression that we were there like endorsing what was going on or what was being celebrated. So it was where we were set up was actually ideal. And I I definitely want to emphasize, you know, like location, especially at, you know, something like a pride festival is really important. We were outside the confines of like this gated area where a lot of like the merchants were present. And so just like that physical barrier just made it obvious, like we were not part of like, you know, the in crowd, so to speak. And (laughs) it's funny you mentioned, uh, we actually had two very angry people. The two people that came to the table were actually very angry, very hostile. And of course, we just continued to pray for, you know, the Blessed Mother's protection and for for those people's, you know, hearts just to be mended. Because I imagine that a lot of that anger is a lot of hurt, Mm -hmm. Uh, is, you know, the, the source is a lot of hurt. But really the one person that sticks out in my mind is someone who is actually practicing, you know, the, the homosexual lifestyle. He was a fallen away Catholic. And I, I wrote his name down. I believe it was Tony. So for the sake of telling the story, his name is Tony, a young man, probably about 21 years of age. And I was actually there evangelizing with, like I said, a fellow team leader and a Catholic priest who was actually visiting from Ireland. And this young man approached, he actually stepped away from the group that he was with. And that took a lot of courage, I think, because typically in the groupthink mentality, if the group wants to move on, he'll just move on. But he was really convicted. He wanted to hear what we had to say. And fortunately, we had the Courage Apostolic pamphlets to give him, as well as the St. Paul pamphlets about, you know, what the church church's teachings are on, you know, homosexuality. And we, we prayed over him and really just like the look in his eyes, you could just tell like something, you know, really, I mean, it's not us that's doing the work. It's the Holy Spirit that's like convicting him. And it was just such an incredible moment to think out of all the people that we spoke to, even if we just reached him, 
and helped him escape uh, from the bondage of of that lifestyle, like all glory to God. So despite all, despite the initial troubles or initial trials, it was well worth our time. Yeah. Can I just say that I actually am really glad that, that you were there and that we actually have teams that are willing to go to festivals like that because I think most people who go to that festival, especially if they're marching, if they see Christians, they're probably with signs that are condemning them, right? Mm-hmm. right. And we, our, our whole approach is to be loving, non-confrontational, listening, befriending. And if we can have more Christian witnesses that are out there and not condemning them, but still actually saying, hey, maybe you feel like the church has ostracized you because you've, you've taken on this identity that of a homosexual lifestyle, but that's actually not the case. Like this church and our church is still for you. Like we actually want, we're out here because not to condemn you, but to try to bring you in. Like that, that's why we're here. And we want to make sure that, you know, this is a place for you. And exactly. the more, the more they can, we can actually as a church promote that message and let them know that this, just because you identify a certain way, doesn't mean that we compromise on what we believe, but it also doesn't mean that we ostracize anyone who's not there yet and recognize that Jesus founded this church for everybody and that, it, it is actually for them. And the fact that you're out there representing that um, at that festival in that way is, is wonderful. Kimberly, can you remember anything in particular you said to that um, young man, to Tony, to like when he came, what was your opening line? Not that it's a line, but what was the, what was the thing that kind of drew him in and got him to the point where he would surrender enough to be prayed over? So both, both the priest and I were, you know, equipped double fisted with like miraculous medals and rosaries. And that's typically, <laughs> you know, just like they teach in the basic evangelization training. It's such a, an easy thing to offer and to um, invite people in. I, I don't like to say, you know, lure, but really just invite people over and he was actually the one who kind of started the conversation by saying like, oh, my, my whole family's Catholic. You know, I was baptized. I was confirmed. He just voluntarily shared this information. And so it just kind of started like, it was nice to be able just to get to know him as a, as a person. Like, so where are you from? Where did you grow up? And then we, we, did, uh, we did get to the point where he mentioned that his family did not support him in his in his current lifestyle and that he really felt like isolated and the fact that we showed like genuine compassion and shared like the truth, which is this is not what your family wants for you because this is what God doesn't want you to be confined by what you, what you think your physical attraction is. You are so much more than, than this identity that the secular culture wants you to think. Um, I love that. You can find that. That's a great, so that's not a wagging finger. It's an invitation to more. Exactly. And I actually, I learned that from the Courage Apostolate because I really do feel like the Holy Spirit is calling me more to like minister to these people who have same-sex attraction. And like the way that we, the way that we approach them and the way that we invite them, it's like, we are always seeking more. We always want like the fullness of truth. He was a, a wonderful young man. And I think we just said it like point blank, do you mind if we pray for you? And the priest and I, I think we kind of took turns just expressing what was on our, our hearts. And he walked away and I, I just pray that the Holy Spirit convicted him. So That's beautiful. I think I learned that kind of thing from another person from Courage too, is to 
take the identity, don't confirm that as their main identity. Their sexual mm -hmm. attraction is not who they are. And the way method I used when I, when I come across that is I just ask them more about themselves, you know, because their sexual identity is just one piece of the many things about them. You know, what are your hobbies? What kind of things do you do? Do you play music? Whatever. And you, you just get to know them and you get a broader picture of who they are and help them to see that they are more than just their, their sexual identity. I think exactly. that came from courage to, to try to, to do that. I mean, our identity is our is child of God. Mm -hmm. Amen. That's absolutely true. And that it's, it's okay. You know, if anybody has this struggle that the church is still for them and it's for anyone. I mean, that, it's, it's a hospital for sinners, right? And so if, if you can identify yourself as a person who's broken, who's in need of God's love, then let's go to the church. And it, that's all of us, no matter um, what we're struggling with. And as long as you have this openness and desire to come to know Jesus, and like, that's, that's the first thing, right? So that's why I always start. Instead of focusing on the identity and something that needs to change in them, it's just like, what do you think of Jesus? Like, do you know this guy? And do you, have you ever prayed to him? <laughs> you know, like, and so, yeah. because it, even though, it, and especially in our culture today, it's such a hot topic. When people know that I'm a person that is Catholic and, you know, actually works in, in an apostolate like we do, I always tell them our main apostolate is just to pray and to, to invite, and invite people to not like at first just say, stop sinning. It's more come to know the love of Jesus. And the more you fall in love with him, the more your life will be um, and look like what he wants for you. Um, so today we are actually podcasting on Veterans Day and you and your husband are both active in the military. So we just, <laughs> I just want to take this time even right now, just to thank you for your service and like to give everybody an opportunity on that listen to our podcast to just say thank you. And one of the stories that you actually mentioned that you want to talk about is a pilgrimage that you got to do with other people in the service. And that actually St. Paul Street Evangelization had an effect on that pilgrimage. So I want to give you an opportunity to talk about that. Yes, absolutely. And, and yes, we absolutely are so grateful for the support and the prayers and we, we all need it. So yes, please continue to pray for the military. <laughs> yes. Um, so the, the Warriors to Lord's Pilgrimage happens every single year, and it actually is sponsored, at least the American pilgrims are sponsored by the Knights of Columbus, and it coincides with this international military pilgrimage that started, I think it started in the 1950s, and it was really started to be you know, a gathering place for service members from all over the world uh, to be able to worship together, to pray together really for, for peace. And no matter what country they're in? No. Well, I, I imagine that, I think, you know what? I think there were even nations that were not, let's say, um, in, within NATO. I think there were over like 50 countries represented, even if they only had, let's say, one or two pilgrims. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I think it was upwards of 14, 15,000 uh, service members from all over the world, all in our uniforms, in Lourdes, probably the most beautiful time of year, like mid-May, mid uh, just, the, you know, the, the month of Mary, it was just incredible. Oh my gosh. Wow. So something that, that I've 
definitely learned because of the apostolate is, you know, we don't have to be behind like our table with rosaries and pamphlets to evangelize. And it really has equipped me um, with, with like the tools to just evangelize in everyday life, which is like the end state, I think, is to recognize like we do have that obligation to share our faith and to, you know, to convict people um, just by who we are and how we act. So it was pretty awesome when I met everyone that was part of the, the group that uh, flew from Los Angeles to, to Lourdes. I'd say about half of them were fallen away Catholics and half of them were uh, non-Catholic Christians. So I think there was a couple that were Baptist and, and those that are of other denominations. And I, I just remember praying, I was like, Jesus, you clearly have me on this pilgrimage to hopefully to inform people about the fullness of the faith. And I just called upon, you know, I was like, there's no better place. I was like, I'm in Lord's intercession of Mama Mary to hopefully guide these people to her son. And just in, you can imagine it was a pretty, pretty full schedule. We were doing like one event in uniform, going from dinner to breakfast. But of course, we had rest times to actually just talk. And the stories that people shared were just incredible. And being able to to speak intelligently about the faith, but also just get to know people. And even after I returned home, I actually followed up with people and mailed them like information about the faith because they were genuinely interested. And I was like, well, you know what? I think I have a book for that. And no kidding. I went <laughs> home and I was like, I'm mailing them a book and, and hopefully their their minds and hearts are convicted so wow you're in lords like it, it and did you go to any other spots besides lords or there's fifteen thousand people around the world who are coming to unite on a faith pilgrimage together i guess i'm surprised that all these people who are going on this pilgrimage especially to lords which is such a, a catholic place that are going like what made them choose Lords and how did the Knights of Columbus sponsor you? Um, that is, it does seem odd. Like, yeah. I'm trying why, to get my head around like, it was it a Lords conference or was it a peace conference and everyone came and it just happened to be in Lords. Like I, it, that didn't, that one didn't quite make sense to me either. Yeah. So I didn't do a good job in explaining like who the, the audiences, the pilgrims that, the, that go to Lourdes. So the pilgrims, the majority of the pilgrims are actually wounded by combat veterans. So I was actually one of the only non-wounded active duty service members there. The rest of them were injured either, they were combat related or non-combat related. There was a young man who had actually been uh, a survivor of a horrific car wreck and he was getting medically separated, but he was there as as a military pilgrim. There was a Another young man from a different part of the country, I think he flew in with the Atlanta, Georgia group, and he had actually sustained injuries from an IED blast in, I believe, Afghanistan. And he had, he definitely was suffering from physical, a physical disability from the injury sustained. So the Knights of Columbus, um, it is an ecumenical event. So that's why there are so many like non-Catholic um, Christians that are, that go on the pilgrimage. But I mean, what a, what an opportunity to, yeah. you know, to show people like this is the, the best way that I can ex- describe Lords is it really is like the intersection of the most beautiful, like manifestation of like heaven and heaven on earth, because it shows us like how we were really designed to be like mo- fully happy. Cause I, I, I'll admit I had 
no kidding, I just lost my grandmother, literally left her bedside, and then my mom called to let me know on the way to Lourdes that she had passed. Mm-hmm. So in this great time of, of sorrow and grief, I was just so incredibly joyful there. And the way I can explain Lords is, like I said, it helps helps us realize how we were meant to live, which is to glorify God in all of our actions. And it was just so incredible to be able to to pray with people, to to live life in faith, and just to to walk around, to pray together, to eat together, to celebrate together, all to glorify God. I just it was just such an incredible experience, and I would highly recommend uh, going to Lords if at all possible. Oh, that sounds fun. That would be great. Uh, Marian um, pilgrimage sites are, are beautiful and people come from all over, all over for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So were there, um, were there any healings? I know you went to the healing prayer ministry. You've learned how to do healing prayer. Was there, was any of that part of your pilgrimage? Um, I mean, going to the baths was absolutely a part of it. And there was actually kind of a, another story to that. So we happened to be in, in Lourdes or trying to leave France um, when the Air France workers were on strike. So we get to the airport only to find out that we were stuck basically in Lourdes for about another like 24 to 36 hours. And of course, those of us that don't have children, that don't have commitments, I was just overjoyed to return to Lourdes. But of course, there was a lot of stress for those that had children at home that had to deal with childcare. So it really was this, this dynamic of people were very stressed about returning. And then those of us that were like, okay, there's a reason that uh, the Blessed Mother is having us return to Lourdes. And sure enough, we actually were able to schedule another visit to the baths. And I recall this one young woman, she was a spouse of a service member, but she was actually a veteran herself, but she was already out, out of active duty. And she actually really struggled with anxiety to the point where it was like debilitating. And she didn't have the chance to go to the baths the first time that the group went. But because we had returned to Lourdes, she was able to go to the baths. And after, after we had all gathered after everyone had had the opportunity to go through and to be dunked <laughs> into the baths she she uh just voluntarily said like i bawled when you know my body made contact with the water and it was almost as if you could see a change in the relationship between her and her husband as well as like how she interacted with like the other pilgrims so that was just an incredible thing to witness how it wasn't part of the plan to go to the baths again. And then sure enough. And I mean, something that, that I learned at the conference is like more Christ wants, you know, spiritual healing more than physical healing, but absolutely. I, I think she experienced, you know, both, both physical and spiritual healing that day. And that was awesome. That's to beautiful. That's beautiful. And it wasn't a coincidence, right? You know, or no, no. God takes the opportunity and, and goes with it. That, mm-hmm. That's a beautiful story. So you guys had 36 more hours. You, you, were, you went to the airport and they turned you away and you go back to Lourdes? Oh, it was, it was quite the debacle. We ended up going to, I think, two airports and then we eventually got turned around and, and went back to Lourdes. Yeah, they didn't say, let's, let's stop this you know, party bus in France and Paris or something like that and just hang out for a couple of days. It was like, let's go back to Lourdes and let's go back to the baths. Exactly. Even though you had already been there once. 
even though we'd already been there once. Wow. Not everybody. Not everybody. And, got to well, first. not everybody. Right. Even, even though most had already had gone one time through, mm-hmm. it was like, let's go do this again. Mm-hmm. Wow. So now, Kimberly, you just got restationed from San Diego to, to um, Hawaii, yes. and you're starting up another team. And we're, we're just, uh, Brian and I are, are always working with team leaders on how to get their team started, how to keep them going, how to work through difficulties. Um, and I understand you had your first outing scheduled. And uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how all that went. Yes, definitely. So I think trusting in God's will, and it ended up that we were not able to go out yesterday just because I did not have enough or I didn't have any volunteers that were willing to go out with me. Um, But they said they were interested before you were telling me, right? Yes. But when it came to actually following through and going out, everyone kind of backed away. So that's not abnormal. That, that sometimes happens. They're all excited about it. But then when it comes time, it's like, Oh, well, maybe there's something else to do. And so (laughs) You were left without a, without a team on, on your scheduled first outing. So my plan of attack is to set up the table because the parish is hosting a Thanksgiving dinner at the parish hall. Uh, and I'll set up the table and hopefully get volunteers to sign up there. Because I think it's important for people to see what we actually do. You know, because there's people have this idea in mind of, okay, we're out there on a soapbox uh, with a loud loudspeaker condemning people to hell. And I, I want them to see what we as street evangelists, Catholic street evangelists actually do. And it's, That's so important. it's, fun, it's engaging. So yeah, I think having just yeah. like that, actually having the display, actually showing them, no, this is what we do. Maybe even after they eat their, you know, turkey and cranberry and mashed potatoes, inviting them to come over with me and, and practice. So I'm looking forward to that opportunity. That's a great way to do it. I think that happens to many team leaders and you have to recruit more people and you have to get the word out and they have to see it because although evangelization to some people, the word is invigorating and challenging to others. It is just scary. Yes. <laughs> so to show it's listen, befriend, proclaim, invite, pray. I mean, those are very gentle words. So I, I hope that uh, on Thanksgiving, is it an outreach for people from outside your parish are coming in or is it for the people in your parish? Uh, it's just people within the parish, okay. from what I understand. Yeah. Yeah. I think our apostle is trying to reclaim street evangelization to being a way to actually reach hearts instead of just being a soapbox where you're just yelling at people. I, I think that's the reason people want to support us or people are finding our, that this is a method that works because we're not a traditional way of street evangelization that people are used to. Exactly. Well, pray for that people are, are ready, are willing to step out in faith and mm-hmm. allow God to use them. I mean, when you look at the charisms and you look at, you know, the, what um, St. Paul talks about, it's like God gives us gifts, but they're not for ourselves. They're to be used to build the kingdom. So when people have that gift of joy or the gift of being able to have conversations or no scripture or just being able to share the relationship with Jesus with somebody, they need to step out in faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Kimberly, uh, you, you can recruit me anytime. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a very willing volunteer to come out there. I'm sure you get that joke a lot, right? Do people tell you all the time how jealous they are of you because you're there? I hear that from a lot of people. Um, I've only been here, I 
gosh, I think like two months. And I mean, it's an incredibly beautiful tropical paradise, um, you know, warm beaches. I'm on the rainy side of the island, but I, I can't complain. It is the rainy season right now. So even though there's sunlight coming in probably later this afternoon, uh, we'll get some cloud cover and get some rain. You know, they say like in, in life, you know, there's like a season for everything. I think this is a great time for, you know, Mark and I to, to live here together as a young married couple. But I will admit, I, I do miss the seasons. I don't know if I miss like Detroit winter type uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> seasons, but I, I do miss, you know, the fall, maybe a little bit of snow if I don't have to shovel it. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I grew up in Atlanta and my first winter in the Midwest, I was using my license, my driver's license to get the ice off my windshield after like the first snow hit. Like, what are you doing, Brian? I'm like, this is what I always did in Atlanta. Like, I only had my driver's license to don't have everything a, don't off. Have a snow I never, I never even seen a snow scraper before. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so much going on in Hawaii, and I hope that you get some more um, volunteers to to come up and with your um, parish. We'll be praying for you as we pray for all of our team leaders that they will come out and and join you. How can they not? You know, it's such a it would be such a beautiful invitation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Kimberly, did you have any last thoughts or anything you wanted to share with those who listen to the podcast? I actually do have uh, another story from the Pride Festival oh, that I cool. think is a great oh. it's a great like sobering thought. Um, so I'll I'll try to keep it short. This man probably around my age approaches the table on a bicycle and he just engages in like you know, civil dialogue. Well, it turns out that he is from the atheist group, but as we just get to know him more, he volunteered that he was actually a, he was a convert to Christianity as a teenager, came to Holy Mother Church as like in high school, and actually was very devout in the faith, so much so that he was even like an altar boy at, you know, the Latin mass that's offered at a, a parish in San Diego. And he had like a crisis of faith I think in his young adult years and really just felt like God was not answering his prayers. And of course, you know, he got into the crowd where he started to doubt God's existence and eventually started to associate with atheists. And he said something that just really just stabbed me in the heart. And he was like, you know, if, if the Catholics that I had been attending mass with really believed what they believed, they would have like come after me. They, they would have called me, found me and told me like to come back to the sacraments, come back to the church. And he was like, but not one of them did. And wow. it was, I mean, I'm sure that my eyes were just wide open. Um, and I was like, wow, that is such a powerful story. And that's why I wanted to share it with you all is when you get to know people, we get to know their stories. And I would never have thought that this guy on a bicycle who was part of the atheist group had been through all of that in his life, but it's also a, very sobering reminder that we need to make that invitation. We need to, when we notice that we, well, one, one thing we do need to get to know our fellow parishioners. We need to build that community Two, If we notice that they have stopped coming to mass, we need to reach out. We need to be that, that disciple of Christ and be like, what's going on? Like show that compassion, show that love for neighbor. So hopefully it doesn't leave like the podcast on a, on a down note, but it's just such a great story. So true. I love that because if you take it, instead of talking about your Catholic faith or the Catholic church and you put some other, you know, life 
it is something that, that life depends on. And someone walked away from something, you know, they walked away from their, you know, medicine that they take for diabetes. And they said, well, I just don't want to. You wouldn't say, well, you live your way and we'll live our way. You would say, no, you are going to die without this. You mm -hmm. need this. You would, you would chase them down if you love them, right? Yeah. But somehow when it's our faith, we figure like, well, you know, you be you and I'll be me. And we just let people drift away and we don't realize that this is their life. You know, you have no life without me, it says in John chapter six. It is a sobering thought and it should call all of us to the realization that we have the words of eternal life through Jesus Christ. We can't keep them to ourselves. Amen. Yeah, it's true. As a church, we, do, we don't do the best job of even passing on our faith to those who are within the church. And I just, uh, I think that a lot of times people use that as we need to fix that before we can go out. And mm -hmm. I'm just like, I don't know if that's always the case. But I just love what that, that young man said. If they loved me and they really believed what they, what they taught was true, they wouldn't have let me go, mm -hmm. right? They would have come after me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, the, I mean, the way I like to think of it when I teach like the basic evangelization training is like, we have to fortify the walls from within, but we also have to like expand it. And I mean, that's, I mean, Brian, that's what you're, you're getting at is mm -hmm. absolutely. We, we have, and I think this is from Dr. Scott Hahn. Um, I think he said, you know, we have sacramentalized Catholics, but we don't, don't have nearly as many evangelized Catholics. And that's what we need to do is we need to evangelize our own and then they will just be filled with the Holy Spirit and they will just be convicted to, to share the faith. And then that's how we go out and then bring more people into the community to bring more people mm -hmm. to the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. So you're an I, example I like of that. that. I mean, just, yes. And you're a great example of that. Mm -hmm. um, just because your energy and, and going out and your enthusiasm, it's, it's very contagious. It's very attractive. People want to hear more about it which is why they walk up to you at the table at the Pride Festival, right? Kimberly, thanks again for being with us today. Thank you again for your service to our country. Um, our prayers, especially on this Veterans Day, continue to go out to you and your husband and all those who serve um, and protect us here in the States. And know of our prayers as you continue to build up the team there in Hawaii. Uh, we joke around about a personal visit, but I don't know, maybe <laughs> we can actually make, make it happen one day. That would be incredible. <laughs> And we'll start doing live podcasts. <laughs> but Beth, did you, you have are any? always more than welcome. Thank you. Did you have any final thoughts, Beth? I just want to, again, thank you and all military people on this Veterans Day. May the Lord always guide you and protect you. May Mother Mary wrap her mantle of protection around all servicemen and women to help them and protect them, guide them. And also the families that are involved, because the sacrifice goes all the way home. And so uh, we know that we, re we really respect all of you, all of you that go out and serve. So thank you for that. Yeah. Because we're at St. Paul Street Evangelization, where we train, equip, and mobilize ordinary Catholics to do the extraordinary work of evangelization in order to save souls. Thanks, Kimberly. Thanks so much. Thank Thanks, you. Brian. Thanks, Beth. <laughs> of course.